rub elbows with people you don't really want to rub elbows with and um, how at some point everyone they may need me or I may need them down the line and not to really burn that bridge because I know I definitely burned probably one or two bridges that even if I did want to continue playing or coaching they probably are in positions right now to help me. Today, I have NFL cornerback Benet Benwickery. Now, when he was first drafted by the Carolina Panthers, he had such an impressive resume. He was number two cornerback in the NFL within the first two weeks that he started playing. And correct me if I'm wrong, but you, your first interception was Drew Brees. Yes, it was. Look at me know my facts. <laughs> <laughs> now, I don't know much about your journey. I know a little bit about you, but I'd love to hear more about how you got to the NFL. I started off really a basketball player, played basketball all through AAU, middle school, got to high school. And um, in my sophomore year, transferred to a school called Sarah High School, where I met a lot of guys who I played Pop Warner football with, but I didn't really take football as serious as they did. However, when I got there, ended up being good enough to start on varsity. And from there, got a scholarship and went to San Jose State and still didn't really have that mentality. Like, I'm going to go to the NFL until probably my junior year when things really kind of clicked in. And I started really uh, looking at, at guys that I grew up with that went to big schools and, and started really making it my motivation to play in the NFL. So. And some of those guys are like Marquise. That's how I met you. Yes. And so, Paul Richardson. Yes. Who are the other guys that you went? Um, Marquise Lee, Paul Richardson, Robert Woods. We had a guy named Devin Spann who went to ASU, who he was doing really well. And then I met a lot of guys that went to UCLA um, that were big time that made the NFL, got opportunities to play. And it was just really cool. And, and, and at that time at San Jose State, we had a few guys like Duke Iannaccio and Carly Iannaccio who they had made it into the NFL as well. So it started really giving me avenues to, avenues to look down that path. So once you made it to the NFL, and I hear this a lot, so mm -hmm. you have college, you had fun in college, you played, you're great. What's the transition like and what's a mindset like going from college to NFL? You just see how much more of a business it is. You know, it really does start as a business when you're in college, but it's kind of in between. Like coaches understand that, you know, you play, but you have school and you have other things to get, get, get accustomed to. But when you get to the NFL, your really only job all day from, you know, usually 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. is football, whether it be weights, practice, training, studying, on your own time and so that's just when i talk when i talk to guys now you know I, I i i'm with some high schoolers now and i do some things and i tell them that really like the speed of the game doesn't really come from the physical speed it really comes from the mental speed how well you're able to pick up your playbook how well you're able to understand who's going to be where and, and and really put yourself in position to make plays so that's just what's been the biggest transition or what was the biggest transition when I came into the NFL. Luckily, I got drafted to a team where we had some great guys in the room like Luke Keekley and Thomas Davis. So I was able to always study film, talk to them. We had an offensive guy named Cam Newton that was I legit. think I've heard of him. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure everybody's kind of heard of him a little bit. But um, so I got to compete with those guys and against those guys who are, you know, considered the best in their respective positions. And uh, they pushed me and, and they really pushed me when I came in and, and saw me as a rookie to do great things. What do you think was the hardest part about making it to the NFL? What did, was it the mental game, like you say? Yeah, I, I, me personally, I think 
making it to the NFL was just being aware. I I didn't. So I went to San Jose State where we weren't as notarized and as like my friends that went to USC and UCLA and, and big schools like that. So since I wasn't used to the public eye on me, when I made it, I had to realize that the public eye was on me and how to really conduct myself. So I would say that was what probably made it the most challenging because I was always kind of in the light of like whatever I did, it didn't really matter. You know, I might get in trouble in my school, but the media outlet's not about to write a newspaper about me because I may have did something um, that wasn't ethical on campus. Um, So that was probably the biggest thing once I made it is to realize that like all eyes are on you and not just your college eyes. Yes, everyone. I mean, in social media these days, I'm glad you brought that up because there's negative comments, even if you are great. It doesn't matter what you say. There's going to be someone that's going against you. How do you how do you handle criticism or how do you handle mean comments or anything like that? That's something that I did have to actually go through and, and deal with because coming from a small school, being in San Jose State, where everybody loved you. We're getting more notoriety now, so shout out to San Jose <laughs> State. Um, but we 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 really didn't get too many naysayers because everybody it was fan love it was support they were from the area or family members so they always kind of prepped you up when i got to the nfl i was blessed to do really really well my first two seasons to where i didn't get negative comments but in my third season i remember getting negative comments and that was just right after the super bowl we went to so we had a lot more fan base we I remember even like check. I remember on Instagram. I think our we only had a few hundred thousand that followed the Carolina Panthers page to finally hitting a million. It's called bandwagons. So, yeah, you know we had the bandwagons <laughs> hop on, and so um, my third year had some had a bad game, and it was just a lot of negative comments from people that didn't know me, didn't know anything, and they were just talking based on one game, and it was tough because I sat there and I read a good amount uh-huh. of them, and I wanted to like go back and forth with people. I wanted to argue. Um, luckily, I had family around me and they were like, no, don't respond, don't respond. And I chose not to respond. But I think there's a few tweets out there. I think I did respond, <laughs> kind of just like wanting to defend my case or wanting to defend myself. It was crazy. Now, you know, after that, seeing sometimes like maybe a coach responds or a negative fans comment, I know how to brush it off. And because I, wa- I actually just recently watched a video of guys talking about kickers and how they could have made an easy 35 yard kick at the end of the game to win the game and then it'll be like no pressure no line and they put a video out there and it was these guys that had negative tweets and they went to go kick the ball and they couldn't even get it to the goalpost. so i think just having to realize like the profession the hours the work the time that i put in that they don't understand you know it that's allowed me to finally kind of like okay i don't need to read everything and and just pay attention to to my own goal i don't think you'll ever find a comment from someone that's doing better than you. That's going to be bad. (laughs) So I like to always put it in that perspective is it's almost like they can't get attention from anywhere else. And so they get attention by like saying mean shit to people. Yeah. So maybe, maybe that'll help put you at ease a little bit. (laughs) I don't know if I can help you, but, um, and you, I'm not sure when you broke your leg, but you fractured your leg. And that's something that we see in the NFL all the time. Yeah. And for me, I haven't fortunately been in a position where something like that has happened. And then I have to be back into the game or back into that mindset. And how do you go from, you know, hurting, getting hurt, and then 
having to be back into the game, having to go a hundred percent. Do you have that doubt? Is there any, a moment where you like pause because you think you're going to get hurt again? I was just always curious to see how that was. To be honest with me, it was very different. I had no doubt, no question that I was going to be back. Like I broke my leg. And even when I broke my leg, it was just like, okay, well like do the surgery so I can start training next week. Like, that's just how I felt. Um, there were moments in time when I was trying to rehab and get back and things were just tough. And I'm like, why is this so tough? That does bring doubt into your mind. Like, dang, will I ever really be able to run the right way again? In my case in, in particular, I, I broke my, I fractured my fibula and the timeline for that for, because I had a deltoid slit, which is like a ligament and, you know, ligaments take longer to heal. I remember my team at the time was kind of expecting me to come back earlier than possible because I was really the considered vet in the room because it was my third year, but we drafted three rookies. And so they wanted me back and they started pushing me to really, really come back in training camp. And I really wasn't ready. And I knew I wasn't ready. I felt it. And I had a lot of back and forth between the GM and the coaches about like, well, you need to be ready or how are you going to be ready? How do you feel? And a lot of persuading me to say that I'm ready when I really wasn't ready. And, um, that was probably when at the, at that moment was probably when I was like, dang, I really don't know if I'm going to be able to get healthy. And it felt like it was such a long time because I was already like six, seven months, but the timeline was really like a year and a half till I was going to feel better. But the way they were pushing me, it felt like I should have been better three months ago, mm -hmm. you know? So that was something that was very, very tough. And, and like I said, initially that mindset wasn't there that I wasn't going to be back. It was just a matter of like, really honing in and how do I get back out there? How do I help my team? And how do I really get back to that elite status that I was playing at? Do you think that that was one of the hardest things that you've had to overcome? I know that we talked about how you got into football before and what would you say was the most difficult thing? I think once getting into football, like legitimately getting into football, that probably was one of the most mm -hmm. difficult things just simply because I hadn't experienced any type of broken anything before I hadn't I mean mostly I did was just maybe a, a sprain or a slight grade of a hamstring tear so it might be I sit out one or two weeks that was the first time that I was literally removed from something for more than a month two months three months and then also what was really crushing was I did it in the playoffs of the year that we went to, or really right before the playoffs of the year we went to the Super Bowl so then I had to sit on the sideline and I remember it really hit me. I was flying to San Francisco where the Super Bowl was. And uh, well, really, they had just built their new stadium, which was in Santa Clara, which is only like 15 minutes from San Jose State. And I was flying to the game and um, I started kind of tearing up because I was like, dang, this was like the perfect moment for me to come back, play, have this opportunity to be on this big stage. Everybody's watching. And I'm just on a sideline hurt. So I remember shedding tears off of that. And that was probably the biggest thing. And just being um, super determined to get back and making it back, playing at a, a good level, but just kind of dealing with some things after that were probably the second tier of what was probably the most difficult just because it was the business side really came out and understanding the business side, which I didn't understand in that moment. So getting cut and released, knowing that I was still hurt and having to bounce around teams and never really making it back to really given the opportunity to really be back on the field, which that hurt a lot, too. And I finally got an opportunity 
played well and then to like get released again just because of a numbers game, you know? So it was, those are some difficult things that you kind of like learn to eat when you're, when you're in the league. It wasn't until recently did I really understand how it worked like that. Yeah. And I always thought it was so crazy because it is a lot of it's about timing. If you're in the right team at the right time and the right game, whatever it is, do you get the opportunity? And I've seen so many people's careers and people with a lot of potential that haven't been able to show their full potential because it just wasn't the right time. And yeah. I think it's so frustrating and it, it really breaks my heart for a lot of those athletes out there. I've seen you work really hard because I was at one of your <laughs> workouts one time. How do you, do you have any secrets to your training or, you know, nutrition um, or anything like that that you focus on? No, I actually, uh, to be honest for me, I, I just really started learning how to take care of my body. And I found out that it's more about recovery than actual training. I, you know, you come in, you're a kid, tri-sport athlete, you just play and play and <laughs> you don't care about ice baths and stuff like that. But you see, when I got to the league, I remember seeing a lot of the vets, they were getting an ice bath, they were getting treatment, but I'm just, you know, cracking jokes like, oh, you old, like you old, like I don't need all that. But then as you start getting up there and I remember like really, um, cause when I broke my leg, it really wasn't like, I didn't feel like, I think I was what, 25? 25 at the time but just seeing the i would do something and then see the recovery after like i got treatment and somebody like really gave me manipulation on my you know hands-on manipulation or putting it in like cryotherapy or sauna or things like that just to see how much i could exert the next day that's when it really kicked in the gear to me that like oh wow like this is actually the gains that people are making it's not because they lifted 335 pounds but after they did that they recovered to be able to do it again the next day yep so. i think recovery is now becoming a more of a technique that people are realizing that is just you have to do it especially as an athlete especially when you're doing it for performance yeah but i do want to go back and talk about some of the teams that you've played on what do you think was hard for you you did say jumping from team to team going in as the new guy how was that like yeah i think um bouncing from team to team was at the moment that it did i just i never really bounced around or had to do too many things like that before but i think i handled it pretty well because one thing even going back to pop warner like even aau basketball or my schools i went to a small school called view park and i was kind of within the first class of a lot of things so when i got to carolina being there it was I know like they were kind of a young team. And so we had a few older guys that were like vets and they were establishing a league, but the rest of the team was pretty young. So it was pretty fun to be there. Once I got injured and I remember I, the next team that picked me up was Miami. I remember getting to Miami, but I was just so nervous because I knew that like I really couldn't run the way that I was really supposed to. I knew that I wasn't gonna, like my assignments to cover receivers. And if I can't really run to cover receivers, I was like, they're just gonna think I'm trash and cut me. And so I remember like going in and having the same talk with their GM. And I'm like, look, I know I'm not really healthy. You know, like, what can I do? How can I do it in order to stay here? I want to stay here. I don't want to bounce around. I like the organization. I like what's going on here. And um, that was something that they worked out to where they were like, hey, you know what? What we're going to do is we're going to need we're going to need that roster spot. So we are going to cut you, but we want to bring you back and we'll put you even like we'll hide you. We'll put you on practice squad. We'll do different things. So they did that and they they were held, held up to their word. The bouncing around really came where I kind of had an agent who wanted to advise me to go to Green Bay because he knew 
the assistant GM there. Yeah, which is something and, I just recently learned. Yeah, yeah. and so, you know, because everybody has their connections. And mm -hmm. so I guess that assistant GM was expected to get the GM job the next year and all this other stuff. So I went to Green Bay, but in my heart, I really didn't want to go. I just, I felt comfortable at home, like being in Miami. I was enjoying their, uh, a lot of the guys on the team. That was very weird because the locker room was totally different than Carolina. Like the Carolina locker room was very family oriented. You saw all their like wives and kids and did a lot of events outside. Whereas like Miami, it was Miami. And so <laughs> dudes didn't really have girlfriends or wives. And it was, you know, if they did have a wife, it was still fun time. And so that was something that I got, I had to get used to and accustomed to because, you know, it was, Hey, it's Friday night. We're still out. Whereas like on Friday night in Carolina, we're having another film session, you know, like even though it's kind of supposed to be your evening off, like somebody's calling a team meeting for something. So that was definitely interesting. And then Green Bay, I was there for a week because they put me in in the playoffs. They lost that week. So then the GM, that assistant GM didn't get the GM job. So then he was, you know, I didn't really have a job. So then my agent knew someone in Cincinnati so I went to Cincinnati, but the whole basis of me going to Cincinnati was really because I still needed to get my ankle healed. So we got there to get my ankle healed and we made it like kind of a pact that like, hey, you know, help him get rehab, help him get healed and then trade him away to somebody that really needs him. Because they had like five first rounders already in their room at, at my position at corner. And at that time, I don't think that it helped them. Yeah. You know, so <laughs> it, it did, you know, so. That was the deal. And we ended up getting that done. They traded me to Dallas, which was a good fit. However, when I got to Dallas, Dallas just didn't give me the opportunity to really be on the field. It was a lot of, you know, I did special teams. I did things like that. But what they didn't really understand, like when I got to Cincinnati, when I before Cincinnati, like when I was in Carolina, I played, I had never done special teams before. So when I got to Carolina, I mean, when I got to Cincinnati and Dallas, they wanted me to do special teams. And I literally had to tell the coach, like, you know, I've never done special teams. And they thought I was like playing. I remember them actually going to go look up the film. Like, nah, we can find any clip we want to. And they went to go look and they were like, oh, wow, it's zero <laughs> clips. And then, you know, like they had to teach me. So I'm very grateful for the Dallas Cowboys special teams coach. I think he's with the Raiders right now, actually. And he, um, because he actually taught me a lot, him and the Cincinnati coach taught me a lot about special teams, which after Dallas, I went to Arizona and in Arizona, learning their techniques, it actually helped me make the roster in Arizona because that wasn't a guaranteed place for me to be at. And I made it through special teams. And by, I think week four or five, I ended up starting back at corner and then I played special teams and, and, you know, so I made myself more valuable by being willing to learn. Your story is just talks about your hard work and your perseverance. And I really admire that. Oh, and you. you keep going and you keep trying and you talk about how you went to this team and then you learned, right. Yeah. And then you went to the other team and you talk about what you learned. So I think it's a true testament to your character and I applaud you for that. Thank I do want to know what, what do you think is your biggest takeaway from playing in the NFL or, you know, from your experience in the NFL? Biggest takeaways and experience probably are really just connections and about people because I think like I've met some really, really great teammates. Like I'm a very um, loyal person. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm, and I'm very big on like treating people how you want to be treated. And 
one of the biggest things I've met really good coaches. I've met really good players and I enjoy, you know, like that, those relationships and the camaraderie with them. But I've also come across coaches and players that that really wasn't the case. But instead of me knowing how to play the game and kind of just not wearing it so hard on my sleeve, I didn't do that. And I, I pretty much like if you were a coach and you made a comment to me and you kind of consistently made it to me, I, I kept going back with you. You know, I didn't know how to understand the business aspect and understand, you know, playing the role. And I saw guys all the time and I used to call them like fake. I'm like, bro, you're fake. Why are you like, you know, you don't like him. And he just said this to you and you're going to let him like, nah, I'm not doing that. No. So I think that's probably the biggest takeaway is just kind of learning how to rub elbows with people you don't really want to rub elbows with. And, um, how at some point everyone they may need me or i may need them down the line and not to really burn that bridge because i know i definitely burned probably one or two bridges that even if i did want to continue playing or coaching they probably are in positions right now to help me but i you know i'll just cut it off you know because i didn't want to deal with it it is really hard because i have that same problem like i'm who i am and yeah. if you make me mad i yeah. don't like you and it's really hard for me to be fake, like you say, but what I've learned is use people to your advantage. So if they can do something that may help you not to be fake to them, but just know where to put them exactly. in your life yeah. and not let them get too close. But you talk about coaching. Is that something you want to do eventually? I, I just recently got into it. I used to say no. And I used to say no. I was, it was a hard no. It was a hard no just because I would see the coaching hours that, you know, NFL coaches put in and college coaches put in. And I was just like, mm, like I have a son. I don't, I don't want to deal with that. But I just recently started helping. Um, there's a facility out here called Game Changer Sports. Mm -hmm. And they, a lot of the kids that train there go to Bishop Gorman High School. So I've been kind of dealing with like middle schoolers and high schoolers. And just to see them progress and see their work ethic and see how hard they're working has been pretty fun. And I think I do enjoy it a little bit. And one of my coaches, which is my DB coach, my senior year at San Jose State, he's actually working at USC right now. And so I've kind of talked to him and we've always been boys just like throughout. He's probably one of the few coaches that I just talk to every year in and out of the games and stuff. And I just think that you know, talking to him and seeing him and like how that's going, how he likes it and our personalities. I think it, coaching might be something I might go towards, that's but, awesome. um, yeah, we'll see. It's just right now. I know I haven't put my all into it just yet. Yeah. So coaching, is there anything else on the table that you think you're going to go to? I enjoy real estate. Yeah. So yeah, I, I enjoy real estate. So I do that currently trying to all different aspects of real estate, trying to, you know, get to those biggest thing for me is, um, just break, break. <laughs> what are you doing? Go, go see John, get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Probably the biggest thing is really real estate. And that's, I really enjoy real estate. I currently own a couple properties right now. Here looking, in Vegas. Uh, one is in Vegas, one's in Arizona, okay. and I'm looking to probably expand. I really want to do California, just California is so expensive. Man, I could never buy a house yeah, in California. It's so like, expensive. <laughs> off the table, not even going to try. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's something, and I just really do like um, rental property. Just the process of like doing makeovers and giving mm -hmm. people nice 
like homes or, or apartments to live in where, you know, it kind of fits within their means and their budget and they can still live luxurious in their, in their mind. So that's been cool. I know I, I met a guy that actually lives out here and he does flips. So he'll oh, buy nice. an abandoned house and just fix it all up. So I've been kind of going, picking his brain, getting ideas. So I would, I would love to do that too, but I'm just a little nervous about that. Um, so I haven't really done that yet, but <laughs> man, real estate, real estate market's booming. So yeah, it's, it's a good spot to be well, in. <laughs> that's the only part about it is I'm on the not booming side of it because <laughs> I'm a buyer right now. And it's really, if you're a seller, mm -hmm. then it's really the perfect market for you. And so since I'm not really selling anything, I'm like, uh, I don't really want to deal with stuff right now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I do want to know for people that are listening, um, even if there's, you know, college athletes, high schoolers, some advice that you have for anybody and close it with that. Advice is the biggest thing is just being confident, setting, setting your mind, setting your goal. And when I mean being confident, it's actually putting the work in behind that too. So I know the biggest things for me that really happened probably in 2018 is I started actually writing out goals and setting, setting ways to attain them and being confident that I'm going to get that goal. So even though I may not have done it how I said I was going to do it, I may took another route, but I just, I was so locked in on that goal and I was confident about reaching that goal that I found any avenue to get to that goal. And so I think that's just one of the bigger things that I think what I advice wise that I would give to people is just really being confident and, and to attain your goals and knowing that you're worth your goal. That's great advice. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing your journey with me today. I think a lot of people can relate to what you say and for your continuous hard work and your ambition and everything that you, I mean, you see the passion <laughs> with helping kids. So I'm really excited to see where you go from here. Definitely. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs>